Praise the Lord, everyone. As always, glad to be in the house of the Lord. So thankful for what God is doing. And I am in great anticipation for what he's going to do. God is an awesome God. Amen. I'm so glad that I get these opportunities to come up here and share just a few things with you um, over the past, I guess, what now, a year and a half now. We've been uh, talking about different things. We talked about conquering your giants and just finished up the series about uh, becoming an effective Christian witness, the power of Christian witnessing. And so we are going to start a new series here. Um talking about restoring life to the body. And um, I do hope and pray that the things that we talk about over the next couple of weeks will bless you and encourage you. How many know that every spirit-filled believer is a member of the body of Christ? If you have been born again, as the scripture says then you have become a member of the body of Christ. And that is an awesome thing, truly, to be a part of. Acts chapter 17 is where we'll start. Acts chapter 17, and we will begin with the 22nd verse. Thank God for all of you being here. My friend, Brother Avery, good to see you, sir, and your family. Looking forward to what God is going to do in the service today. Acts chapter 17. Everybody have it? All right. Beginning with verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mar- uh, excuse me, Mars Hill and said... Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, Dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this remembrance, or excuse me, ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men 
everywhere to repent because he had appointed a day in the which he will judge the word the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised he hath raised him from the dead amen and so we will conclude with that god grant a blessing to the reading of his word and may it produce fruit in our hearts and in our lives Thank you for standing in honor of the word of God being read. So Paul here in this setting, we're looking at Paul is in Athens, which is said to be the capital of Greece at this point in time. And Paul is at a certain place, Areopagus, which is also called the Hill of Mars. This was also known as the place where they held the Supreme Court. And I believe they started out with 12 judges and then they accumulated up to about 300 judges at this particular time. And one of the things that the the uh, Athens, really the Greek, they thrived on philosophy. They were they were really intrigued on gaining something new as far as philosophy and some type of ideal in life. And um, the problem was they would get a new idea or a new philosophy, and it didn't really last that long, so they were constantly searching for something new. So Paul ventures upon this place, Athens, and he's, you know, at this particular place. He looks at all the, the monuments that are set up, the altars that are set up, you know, dedicated to whatever gods that they recognize and serve. And, uh, in fact, the Hill of Mars was actually dedicated to Mars, the planet Mars. They recognized him as the god of war. Okay, so this was one of those things. They were just, you know, this is how they lived. You know, whatever new philosophy, hey, we'll, we'll grab that, you know, kind of like our world today. Everybody going to heaven, it don't matter what you believe. So Paul is here. And he comes across this particular altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And I can imagine Paul saying, oh, y'all done messed up now. Because <laughs> here's my opportunity, and this is the platform by which Paul used to address the Athenians. Okay? So as you see in the scripture, he starts talking. He says, you know, you guys, y'all are, super, are superstitious. Y'all all about this philosophy and all this, you know, mystery stuff, this mythological stuff that y'all believe in. But I noticed that y'all have an altar here that's inscribed and dedicated to the unknown God. And here's what's interesting to me. You have this altar and you're worshiping a God that you don't know. This is what he says. You're worshiping ignorantly. You have no idea who you're worshiping, but you worship to the unknown God. In other words, if in case there's any other gods out there that we didn't capture, we're going to sum it up by saying the unknown God. So Paul says, hey, you know what? Let me reveal to you who this unknown God is. Because he does have a personality. He does have an identity. And he does live. This is one of the things that Paul was really trying to get to them. He says, listen, y'all, you know, you're patterning your gods after all these things that you see and things that you done made, and this is what you worship. But guess what? They're inanimate objects. He says, but the God that you don't know, the unknown God, is the one that created everything that you see. 
So you're worshiping ignorantly. Let me help you out, Paul is saying. Everything that you see around you, every planet, all these other things that you see, trees, bees, and everything else, God made it all. This one God that you don't know. And he gives life. And he tells him, he says, in him we move, we live, we have our being. Pastor said it earlier in our meeting this morning. We can't do anything without God. Did you know the devil can't do anything unless God allows him? We mentioned this many times before, but it's amazing to me how some folks will live defeated because they forget that the enemy has to get permission from God to mess with your life. So what does that tell me? If he allows it, he's already equipped you and prepared you to overcome the enemy. What did the Bible says? Resist the devil and he'll do what? Paul is telling me, he says, he, you know, God is not dwelling in these inanimate objects, these things that you see. Now, in the scriptures, we find that there's only one person where the fullness of God dwell. Right? John chapter 1, let's do a little page flipping. John chapter 1, everybody knows this. You've been in church for a little while. You've got the Holy Ghost. Learn about the oneness of God. You say you believe it then. I'm sure you know this passage of scripture here. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the and the word was with God and the word was. All right. So who was the word? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was. In him was, right? I know we don't serve a dead God. In fact, everything that God does operates in life. Everything he created, he brought life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Dropping down to verse 10. He was in the world. Who are we talking about? He was in the world, and the world was made by, and the world knew him not. Verse 14. And the word was made. Who are we talking about? <laughs> right? So we understand that God is not a name, right? You, Those of you theologians, y'all know, y'all studied this stuff. God is not a name. It's a title. It represents his role, right? So he is God. That's who he is. But what is his name? The word was made flesh. We're talking about Jesus, God made flesh, right? And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then dropping down to verse 18, what does it say? No man, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son. So you see here, this whole chapter is just tying it in for you. 
I love to just go here. I mean, because by the time I get through this chapter right here with a lot of people in home Bible studies, they get it before I even start bringing out all the other scriptures. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath what? Declared him. He hath made him known. He hath revealed him, right? Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Y'all know this one too. Colossians chapter 2. Anybody got it? Verses 9 through 10. What does it say? Uh Uh-huh. For in who? For in Jesus, right? In him dwelleth all the? No, 50%. Shared responsibility, right? (laughs) In him dwelleth all 100%. Fullness of the Godhead, right? That's what the scriptures say. How can you be full and and half full at the same time? (laughs) Fullness of the Godhead, what? Bodily. Right? And guess what? You are complete in who? Look at this. I like this next part. Which is the head of all... Guess who's running the show? That's why all power is given unto me. That's what he said, right? In heaven and. So now. John chapter 10. Because this is where I start. This is where we're going to start. From I went through all of that because I'm making a point. We serve a living God, right? God revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ says, I come. Well, he said that too, but in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says what? Right? Now, now, Pastor just mentioned it just earlier. That's why I said, say it again. (laughs) Right? We've heard this many times already, but Jesus says, he says, "The, the thief cometh. Not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, I have come that you might have life. Okay, so everybody see that part where more abundantly, right? All right, can we bring that slide back up, please? Because this is where I'm starting to make my point. Everybody can see that. I kind of chose this. I know you can't read the letters inside the circles. But basically they tell you the different methods that they use to restore life to the body okay so you got cpr you got the defibrillators okay okay i i tried to practice the word this morning because i didn't want to stumble over it but the one part with the uh lightning bolt that's what that's supposed to represent okay everybody knows what that does shock the body and then you've got the um, um, the thing on the end. I can't remember. What is it? IV bag. Thank you. Whatever IV stuff that they use to try to, right? Okay. 
So these are the different methods for all you medical professionals out there. Y'all know the terminology. <laughs> but these are the methods that they use to preserve life within the human body. Okay? Now, look at that part right underneath the title says, Chain of Survival. Brothers and sisters, this is my concern, that perhaps the church body is in survival mode rather than living an abundant life. That's why, you know, we start talking about restoring life to the body. At some point, we have to live as a church, not survive. And what do I mean by that? When you are coming, and I've heard this said before, but if you're in a place where you have to, you know, you can't wait to get to Sunday morning service because that's your way of surviving through the next week, there's a problem. You're not an effective member of the body of Christ. Don't get quiet on me now. Wednesday night, oh, man, I got to get there and get good teaching. Right, and that's great. But where's your personal devotion, your personal development throughout the week? Because here's what's happening, ladies and gentlemen. We got folks that's coming in from the world who are dead to Christ, and we can't even get them reborn because we're in survival mode. We're not contributing to the atmosphere. We're too busy waiting on pastor to help us through the next dilemma that we're going through. When the Bible says you're more than conquerors, so where's your strength and power? Is this all right? This is what this lesson is about, restoring life to the body, because, brothers and sisters, you can't kill God. But somehow we're allowing the world to kill the church. The human body, the way it's designed, is, is, is really phenomenal when you think about all the composition of the human body. Your nerves, your organs, right, your membranes, all of these things that, that flow. You know, your heart pumps, you know, it's kind of like if you know anything about a computer, your heart is kind of like the, the, what they call the power supply to the computer. You know, that's the part that gets plugged in. But then they have a part of the computer that's called a CPU or a central processing unit. And that is on the motherboard of the computer. And that basically directs traffic. It makes sure that everything functions the way it's supposed to within the computer. And I look at the head, Christ, making sure everything is done in order, right, within the church body. But what happens if there's an, an interruption in the signal between the CPU and the other components of the motherboard? Then you start getting those error messages, right? Hard drive's not functioning right. You can't save a document or you lose something. Memory card's not acting right. For those of you that you know, know if you get a chance, you look in the computer, you can see all these components. It's pretty interesting. But I look at it. And that's how I look at the church body. Sometimes there are things that interfere with the signal from the central processing unit or the head to the rest of the body. Okay, the human body, you know that your brain, it, you, you don't even have to think about it. Like you don't realize it, but your brain is telling your heart to continue to pump. 
Right now, as I'm moving, I'm not even, I don't even realize just how much is going into, my brain is telling my hands to move and my arms to move and all this animation, and my brain is doing all of this. While I'm blinking, while I'm talking to you, thinking about the words that I'm saying, isn't that phenomenal? But guess what happens if my brain is not functioning right or if there's something that is causing a disconnection between the members of my body and my brain. Just at its own accord. If you... Let me use this example. I'd rather use this example. But if you ever seen a chicken and they wring their head off that chicken, that chicken... Y'all heard that term before, run around like a chicken with his head cut off. That's because, you know, if you've seen it, that's exactly what they take off. They have no clue where they're going. And I was amazed at how long they can run without a head. Just going. Because all the muscles are just, you know, they're in shock, so they're just reacting No direction. And unfortunately, I feel like in my heart, I feel like that's what's happening to the church body to some degree. We're becoming disconnected from the head. As time progresses, you know, we're going to find that there are going to be a lot of things in life that are strategically placed there by the enemy to distract God's people. Well, the whole purpose is if I can distract you, like Jesus says, the thief cometh not but to do what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. Just like he did from the very beginning. I always like to go back to the beginning because his tactics is, is really hasn't changed. He's still presenting fruit. It may not be, a, you know, apple or whatever it was that Eve ate, Adam and Eve ate, but it may be in the form of something else. And he keeps presenting the same thing. And the more you eat it, he just keeps presenting it. Say, hey, see, nothing happened to you. Don't the world think like that? Man, I got all the time in the world. That's why some of them are living the way they're living. Because they feel like, hey, you know what, I'm good. That's why some men choose darkness rather than light, because I feel like I got all the time in the world. What's going to happen to me? But God forbid if we got the church behaving that way. God's grace and his mercy. Well, you know, God is a forgiving God, so, you know, I, I, I do what I want to do. Come to church on Sunday. Got my nice, you know, suit on and, you know, got my nice dress on and I'm going to come play the part. Because everybody know I'm okay. But then when I leave from here, I'm in the same state when I came in. And it's okay because God will forgive me. The next service I'll come in and I'll cry before the altar and I'll just, you know, Next revival that happens, man, I'll get myself together, you know, get a good, feel good, and then I'll leave and I'll stay in the same condition. And wait for the next revival. Wait for the next service. Wait for the next guest speaker to come in and do magical, wave his magical wand and do magical power so people's lives can be changed. 
Y'all got to follow me because this is what's happening. I'm not making light of the preaching of the word of God, but this is how folks treat it. It's amazing to me that the man of God can be here and preaching every Sunday, blood and sweat. And then a guest speaker come in and, oh, man, this is just awesome. God is moving. What was he doing the rest of the time? <laughs> we'll continue on. Y'all look like y'all want to stone me, some of y'all. God wants us to experience life, abundant life, as a church body. And in order to do that, we have to be connected to Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, there are some parasites that come and attack the body, just like the physical body, and it causes the deterioration of spiritual health and spiritual development. It's degrading the functionality of the body of Christ. And we're in the, over the next couple of weeks, we'll start talking about those parasites because, like medical professionals, if you're sick, you go in and the doctors do everything they can to try to target or identify and target what's causing the deterioration of your health so they can help you get better to preserve life. And that's what I believe God wants to do in us, in the body of Christ. He wants these things to be exposed so we know what we're dealing with and that we stay connected to him so we can get the healing that we need and the restoration that we need in the body of Christ. Amen. So the first thing we're talking about today, just a little bit here, is unforgiveness. This is one of the parasites that attacks the body of Christ. Unforgiveness is one of those things that it seems so subtle. It it seems like it's low impact. But perhaps that may be one of the leading causes of division within the body of Christ is unforgiveness. Have you ever heard somebody make the term or make the uh, statement, you know, I I would like to forgive you for that, but, but I just can't. I'm sure some of you have heard that before. But I would present to you that it's not a matter of can't. You don't forgive because you choose not to forgive. Now that's in the human nature. And here's why. Because somehow... In a twisted way, you feel like that that's a matter of protection for you. If you don't forgive, maybe it'll help you or keep you from getting hurt the next time you're offended. So it's easier for me to stay in the unforgiving state that I'm in so that it doesn't hurt as much the next time I have to or the next time somebody offends me. That's twisted, and it's a lie from the enemy. Because it doesn't matter how many people, the only thing that happens is you just have more piled up that you haven't forgiven. 
So what offense? How hard is it to say, I forgive you? It's not hard to say, but it's a matter of the attitude. This is what I always, this, this is my belief here. Forgiveness is a reflection of your heart. As the one being offended, it's a reflection of your heart. A lot of times we take the judgmental role. And so we won't forgive because we feel like someone needs to, you know, there needs to be some restitution. You need to pay for what you did before I can forgive you. Brothers and sisters, this is what comes to my mind a lot of times when things happen in my life. If God treated us the way we approach other people with that same attitude, how many of us would be here? Because you need to pay the price before I can forgive you. God forbid. Because we all deserve the cross then. God picked the right one because he knew who could handle it. Because if he would have chosen any of us, we'd have been running. Hiding. Can I speak the truth? Here's what's amazing, brothers and sisters. You know, God is so merciful toward us. He's willing to forgive even before we come to him for forgiveness. Now that's phenomenal. That's the kind of God I want to serve. But in serving him, then I have to embrace that same attitude toward others. This is why I say it's a reflection of your heart. Because before someone comes to me for forgiveness, I have to ask myself, do I, am I willing to forgive them? They may never come and ask for forgiveness. But what does God require of us? Watch this. Turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Now, we know God is a forgiving God. Full of mercy, right? What does it say? And when you stand praying, what's that next word? Oh, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me I can't even communicate with God without having the requirement to forgive? This is where I'm telling you. Look, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Well, why aren't my prayers being answered? Maybe, possibly, it could be because I have not gotten past that other part right there where it says forgive. Look at what the rest of it says. If you have ought, you got an issue against any, anybody. Husband, wife, children, mom, dad, pastor, pastor's wife. You got an issue. 
you're supposed to forgive. Why? Look at what the next part says. That your father also, which is in heaven, may do what? Now, it's not that God is not willing, but I kind of look at it. When we approach God, you know how you approach a king, you know, you got to come a certain way, right? Well, when you present yourself before God, don't think you're fooling God by just trying to shy past it. Every blemish in your life, he recognizes. And you know what? I think people confuse God. He's looking at us, and he loves us so much, he wants us to progress, so he has to expose or reveal those things to us so we can take care of it. That's why he doesn't allow us to move past it. He says, you know, you're trying to talk to me about what you need in your life. You try to communicate with me and build a relationship with me, but the people I gave you, the people I put in your path, you're not even willing to forgive. You don't want to reconcile a relationship with the people that you see. So how can you connect with me who you have not seen? And last time, last time I checked, we all created in the image of God, right? You know, God, it, there's nothing that says that God don't love the sinner. He don't love the sin that they're doing, but he loves the sinner. So if he loves the sinner, then who are we, even if they're sinners? Not to forgive. I think it's awesome. I'm glad that God is the way that he is, because if, if I was a serial killer, you mean to tell me that God still is willing to forgive me? I need a God like that. So if God is willing to forgive, then how much more should we be willing? Because guess who we represent? In him we move, we live. If you've been baptized in Christ, you have put on Christ, right? If any man be in Christ, he is a all things. You need to turn to your neighbor and say, let it go. All right, we we ain't going to frozen now. We just just <laughs> those of you who seen that movie. But let it go. It's not helping you to harbor and hold on to bad feelings. Luke chapter seventeen verse four, because I got a little time left here. I remember one of the disciples asking Jesus, how many times should we forgive our brother if he trespassed? How many times, Lord, I need a certain number because I just need to know when enough is enough. Let me know what the maximum is so I can cut him off. If he trespassed against thee, this is what Jesus' response was. I don't think they were expecting this. But it's more so the implication behind what he's saying. He says, if he trespassed against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent. Now, brothers and sisters, if we get offended one time in a year, 
Some of us can't get past that. You talking about seven times in a day? Some of us be hanging by a thread with that Holy Ghost. We, I don't want to say nothing that, you know, going to keep me out of heaven. I don't want to behave in a certain way that's going to keep me out of heaven. <laughs> so you see what the apostles told Jesus. Lord, you're going to have to help us. I need a whole lot more faith to deal with that. But Jesus knew. This is why, you know, we talked about Christian witness, and one of the things we talked about is the power. This is why he gives us power. Because in our, in our own human ability, we can't. If it's flesh against flesh, I can't stand you, 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 you. Y'all all offended me. I'm done with y'all. Don't even call me. Wish you would step to my door. And that's the flesh. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Because it helps us transcend earthly things. This is what confounds the world. Because when you look at a group of people, can you imagine, really can you imagine how much further we would be as a body of Christ? Just from this one thing here, being willing to forgive like God forgives. Where it's, it's no strings attached. Oh, I got to bring up one more thing. That, that term, that, that the phrase that people use, you know, I forgive you, but I don't think I can trust you again. Let me clarify something right now. Let me say this. If you forgive the person, let them know you forgive them. Stop talking about whether or not you can trust them because that's your issue, not theirs. I, I didn't expect too many responses on that one because that's just a popular thing. Because that keeps me safe once again. It's a check the block mentality. Because I've forgiven you, so I've met that obligation, but I don't have to. Can I tell you something? You shouldn't be putting your trust in man to begin with. That's how you disappoint yourself in the first place. The Bible says trust in the, this is what I told my wife, and I said this before, and I, you know, I say it again. You know, we had a lot of challenges in our, in our marriage, and, and thank God for what he has done. But one of the things I told my wife, I said, listen. Don't trust me as the man, because there's a chance I'll probably let you down again. But you trust God to keep me. You trust God with your marriage. You trust God with, and so that's what it, that's what it comes, that's what it takes, is to put our trust and confidence in God, not man. Sometimes we don't mean to and we let one another down. I'll be there at 5 o'clock, 5.05. My bad, I got caught up in traffic. <laughs> well, look, all I know is it's cold out here. And I've been waiting out here for five extra minutes. <laughs> I'm cold, I'm hungry. You know, sometimes we don't mean to. You know, sometimes we forget stuff, you know. 
Hey, did you bring that, you know, you bring that thing that I asked you for? Oh, man, I live 40 miles away. No, I sure didn't. I am so sorry. Well, I was really depending on that. We don't need to sometimes. It's just things happen, even within the household, you know. Hey, did you remember such and such appointment? No, I sure forgot. These are everyday things that happen. But can you imagine if you just live in a state that you don't forgive? Guess who's really going to be hurting? Because chances are the people that you don't forgive, they've gone on with life. They done moved on. You got some folks, and, I, you know, I pray ain't nobody in here, but you've been divorced. You got some folks that have been divorced and can't get over it. Just harboring hard feelings for years. You know, here it is, 30, 40 years. Man, you're in your 70s still talking about when so-and-so hurt you and left you. Really? And it's in the church. Why are we forming, you know, wives, divorce, wives, stand up. We're going to be strong. We hate males. This is, and it sounds funny, but it's happening. What kind of ministry is that? We're going to talk to all the, you know, divorced and, and we're going to minister. And then the person that's leading it is just as bitter. So you wonder why we can't get nowhere in the service because the stuff that's being indoctrinated into all the ones that's coming to those meetings is anti what you're preaching. Oh, thank you, Jesus. These are things. Notice, it, and I tell you, this, this, is my, this is my heartbeat, really. This is how God gives it to me. It's for the church body. Most of the stuff that I'm talking about, it's not even targeted towards the world. Because guess what? If God can get us to be what, we, what he desires us to be, you know the impact we can have. That's, you know, that's the passion that, that he puts in pastors and leaders and so on and so forth. It's to get the church to be what we're supposed to be. He says, you shall be witnesses. And the thing that's going to help us is if we get rid of some of these parasites that are hindering us, taking away our ability to function as a body so that we can reach this lost and dying world. They need life, but you can't give somebody something you don't have. Well, let's go on forgiving. Remember what I said. Your forgiveness, your willingness to forgive is not predicated upon whether or not someone comes to you and asks for it. Your willingness to forgive has everything to do with the condition of your heart. And if we are truly connected to God like we say we are as a body, then we won't have any issues forgiving. Amen? God bless you. Let's take a break. Let's get ready for our dynamic service in Jesus' name.